Good morning. I am feeling good this morning. It's good to be here. Good to see you. I love that song. I love all of you who play and serve the Lord like this. I was reminded of this this morning. Uh, Ten years in South San Francisco, we had as much heart, we had as much conviction and commitment, but we didn't have the talent. We just, we, we just did. <laughs> we couldn't play our way out of a wet paper bag. <sighs> and it makes a difference, doesn't it? I mean, you just soar a little higher. I do, at least. Well, thank you. It's good to be here this morning. This morning, we, uh, we're singing in the desert again as uh, we're in 1 Samuel 24. And you know, I just right off the bat, I want to tell you, nothing kills a song in your heart like resentment and revenge. Took you a moment to catch up with that, I know. It was kind of abrupt. Nothing kills a song in your heart like resentment and revenge. I know it's the poison that you drink hoping it will harm the other person, harm your enemy, but it really harms us. It harms us most of all. But this is a story of revenge interrupted. And I was reminded of how poisonous resentment and revenge can be this week. A man named Matt had written on the subject, and he included a personal account with a friend of his named Steve. And he was trying to encourage, Matt was trying to encourage Steve to really appreciate the forgiveness that he could enjoy, the, the forgiveness of God that he could know in his life through Jesus Christ. But uh, Steve was having none of it. In fact, he said, look, I, I, I can't even get my head around that. I can't believe that God would forgive me completely. Maybe 70%, but not completely. Completely. And Matt talked to him a little bit more, and then Steve shut him down, and he said, he said, Matt, you don't know the darkness of my sin. And he went on to tell Matt that 19 years ago, there was this guy who stole Steve's wife. And they got married. And they moved to Florida. And Steve's life unraveled. And Steve was arrested for assaulting a police officer. And he's telling Matt this. And he says, during my trial, this guy who stole my wife smirked 
throughout the entire court hearing. And when I was convicted, he flipped me the finger. And I've hated him for 19 years. And he's coming here next week. And I've got a 38 or a 32 caliber pistol strapped to my ankle. And when I see him, I'm going to kill him. And then he chillingly concluded, I've thought about it. I've thought about it a lot. I'm 63 years old. I will get a life sentence, but I'll get free medical and dental and a warm bed and three meals a day. All of this bitterness and resentment that I feel feels so right. But Matt, forgiveness feels so weird. And Matt says, Steve was right about one point. Forgiveness often feels like an unnatural act. And then he asks this question. He said, his question, he says, so what should followers of Jesus tell Steve? What would you tell Steve? What would you tell Steve about forgiveness at that point? And this is what Matt told Steve. And he says, I, I paused for a long time before I finally stammered, well, I guess it doesn't matter if you go to jail because you're already in jail. The guy who stole your wife and smirked at you during the hearing isn't in jail. You are in jail. That guy is free. But you're a prisoner of your own hate and you're slowly killing yourself, Steve. And unless you forgive, you'll remain trapped for the rest of your life. And as Matt tells the story, a week later, Steve got in touch with him. He said, you know, I got your point. I put the gun away. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail or enslaved by my own hate. Matt, will you pray for me that Jesus will release me? Will you pray for me that Jesus will release me? Forgiveness is a symptom of Jesus' love demonstrated on the cross, the love of God in Jesus Christ. And it's that love that interrupts resentment and revenge. There are no shortcuts. There really are no shortcuts. And this story here in 1 Samuel 24 is a story of revenge interrupted. You were with us last Sunday in the first uh, seven verses of 1 Samuel 24. 
And I asked the question, why didn't David seek revenge? His guys were urging him on. I mean, it fell right into his lap. The man who had been seeking his life, making his life a living hell. And there he is, completely vulnerable. And his men are urging him on. In fact, they are invoking the favor of the Lord. The Lord has delivered him into your hand. Why didn't David seek and why didn't he get his revenge? Well, last week I mentioned to you that he didn't seek it and he didn't get it as we would imagine him getting it because he loved the Lord more than he loved getting revenge. David wants God's heart. That's very important. Not just at this critical moment. I mean, and we know this from the Psalms. Half of the Psalms in the Bible are from David. They really give us an insight into the way this guy ticks. And God isn't just his go-to guy when he's really in a difficult time. God is David's go-to guy every day on a regular basis. God is not someone far away or distant to him until he really needs him. God is real in his life. David is pinging off of God all the time. You know, like, you know, like pinging, right? You understand what I'm saying. You understand Donald Trump, and he talks that way. And David was pinging, that is, he's bouncing all the time off of God. And he wants God's heart. He wants what is good in God's eyes. And he wants God to rule in his life. In other words, David wants to rule the way God rules. And when I say rule, you know what I mean. He wants to live his life. He wants to conduct himself. I mean, if you can't be king of yourself, then you can't be king of anybody in life. That's just a business tip. That's a growing up tip. If you can't control yourself, then you won't be able to make it in this world. You won't have the responsible kinds of behavior you need. And some of us, like me, learn early on that we don't have what, what it takes to rule our own lives. And I, and I think David too, and I think most of you, a lot of you, have done what I've done, what David did, and that is ask God to be the Lord of our lives, to defer, to consult, to think, Oh, what would God have me do? What does he think is good? And we saw that in verse 4 of chapter 24, God gave David the green light. He says, do what is good in your eyes. But what David wanted was what was good in God's eyes. And so, 
that shows up in his life at a critical moment, at a difficult time. You know, when you're more into reacting, you're not going to react the right way unless you're loving the Lord on a regular basis as a routine thing, as a kind of regular thing. And that's why David did what he did. You are what you love. I, you don't, you know, you, like when we say you are what you eat, have you ever heard that expression? You don't really become what you eat. You don't become a piece of broccoli, for example. Let me just say a word about broccoli. <laughs> I hated broccoli. And it might surprise you to know that I almost still hate broccoli. Broccoli is like eating crunchy grass. Um, now, I've never eaten crunchy grass, but it's what I imagine crunchy grass would taste like when you eat broccoli. And my wife fixed it up in so many different ways, but I actually eat a lot of broccoli right kind of out of the bag. I like those kind of bite-sized pieces, and I do a lot of that. Um, because it's good for me, and it does good things for me. Some of you will understand this as you get a little older. But broccoli <laughs> is really good for you. And because of that, I have acquired, I have acquired a taste for crunchy grass. <laughs> you are what you eat, they say. Um, they say you, you are what you think. But don't take that so literally. The point is, is that when you love the Lord, that, that love, it, it sinks deep into you. Love goes deeper than thinking. What you love goes thinker than deeping, deeper than thinking. You couldn't have said that if you tried. It goes deeper than thinking. It really changes you as you persistently and consistently love. David, because he loved the Lord, he didn't seek revenge. He did something better. He chose to get ahead. Do you know what revenge is? Here's a short definition. This is a very simple definition of revenge. Revenge is getting even. Revenge is getting even. Of course, we never actually get even. That's a problem with revenge. David chose to get ahead rather than to get even. And you know, they say uh, you can't get ahead when you're trying to get even. David chose to get ahead. And I want us to, sh to see how he did that. Let's look at 1 Samuel 24. I'm going to read verses 8 through 16. After Saul got up and left the cave, we're told in verse 8, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. 
And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David shows us four healthy moves to interrupt resentment and revenge. I want to share those four moves. You and I can do this too. It'll interrupt revenge, beginning with a heart for the Lord's heart, a heart for the good of the Lord. And the first thing that we see is that David resists harming Saul. So the first move we can learn from David is resist harming your Saul. Resist harming your Saul. It's sometimes difficult because we're driven by the reaction to our hurt and to the wound or the insult or the unkindness, the action of another. But David, because he loves the Lord, he chooses to do what the Lord would have him do. And he takes a step toward reconciliation rather than harming. Once you harm, you can't hardly put that horse back in the barn. You can't put what has been spilt back in the carton. If you can stop yourself for just a moment, and that's where... If the Lord comes to mind, it can really help you. I've told you in the past, so I'm probably not telling you anything new, but um, I was an angry young man. I grew up in an angry home. My mom wasn't angry, but my dad was an angry man. So I became an angry son. And the way my dad dealt with life is the way I learned to deal with life. 
You know, the funny thing about anger is that it ends up destroying you and the things that you care about in love more than it ever affects anything constructive or good. That's why in James we're told that uh, the anger of, uh, of you and me, the anger of people, the anger of men and women does not work the righteousness of God. Funny thing about anger is uh, it feels good. Yeah, it really does. I, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, I, Shelly and I, we got married very young. She was 19, and I was 20, almost 21. I didn't. Shelly always reminds me, well, you were almost 21. I was almost 21, but I was 20. And uh, I was an angry guy, and I, I'm amazed that Shelley put up with me and endured me. I really am. Um, a tribute to you, my love, for all of your patience and goodness. Only the Lord could have given her that kind of patience and belief that, you know, good things were somehow going to emerge out of all that ugliness. But I don't want to talk about her. I want to talk about me. The funny thing is, is that she was just, I mean, I, had, I looked up to Shelly. She was better than me. She's obviously, obviously better looking. And she had more friends than I had. And she was like almost everything that I wasn't. I never told her this until just now, although she might have figured it out. But the truth of the matter is, is that when she would, you know, even if it, I was so sensitive. Because a lot of times, in my case, angry people feel threatened a lot. And a lot of little things threaten me. And you see, I grew up believing the world should go just a certain way. And when it didn't go that way, I found that uncomfortable. It didn't make me happy. I wanted to control everything. And if Shelley showed any kind of, uh, you know, disappointment in me, that made me angry. And I would get angry. You know why we get angry? As I said, it feels good. It feels better than feeling vulnerable. If you can understand that about yourself as an angry person or a sensitive person, you might be on your way to making some real improvement. But God taught me to just stop and consult him and consider looking at this thing through his eyes instead of my own eyes, and to become a little more flexible and realize that not everything has to go my way. His way is better than mine. It was a long road, but things began to change. But that will give you real insight into sometimes why we're easily offended. Sometimes it's more about us than about the offender. But sometimes it also is important for us to appreciate that everybody has fear Everybody has a sense of weakness. Saul's do. 
Davids do. Even the people who seem to be so successful and accomplished in every way, they harbor fears. They realize they're not all of that. They're just like you and just like me. And if we can appreciate that, Sometimes it can help us to do the second thing that's really important and that we learn from Saul is we can move to reconcile. We can take a step toward reconciliation. And that's the step that David took. And the interesting thing is that not only can we learn from a man who became a great king, the greatest king of Israel until the Messiah, Jesus himself, came, and fulfilled all of the great, greatest aspirations of humanity and kingship. But Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 said that we need to take the, the very first step. If you want to follow me, he says, you've got to do what other people will not naturally do and that you will learn to do by following me. And that is, when you feel that you've been wrong, he says, don't wait for them. You go to them. You take the first step. You initiate the reconciliation. Boy, when you can do that, you can start to change not only your life, but the lives and the relationships around you. When I would let anger get in the way, uh, I was in no mood to reconcile. And uh, Shelley was a strong woman, and she, she's still a strong woman, of course, but uh, be strong women. You don't have to be mean or nasty. She was not nasty or mean ever to me, which only made me angrier. You know, she's so darn good, and here I am screwing things up even worse. You know, I don't like losing control. But when I feel offended or I feel, you know, and you know how we rationalize. So, of course, it's not just that we're offended. We build this case in our own minds as to how we're just in being angry. And, boy, I just, you know, I'd start bullying things, you know, being a big old guy in the house there and pushing her around. and You know, not physically. She would never let me do that. One time I did, I got so angry, I raised my hand like I was going to strike her. I didn't even realize I had done it. And she said, if you touch me, you'll never see me again. Boy, and I just, I don't like to be belittled. And that was belittling. And I needed to be belittled. I needed to realize who I really was and wasn't. You know, and when those things would happen, she would just move away from me. Leave me alone. Leave me to myself. And I'd go off in another part of the room and f in the house, and I'd fume, you know. And it would take me a while to cool down. And when I'd get cooled down, then I'd realize, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're making a mess in your own bed, in your own house, in your own kennel. You're messing up your own life. You're becoming an obstacle to all the things that you cherish and treasure and want to become. And I'd realize I was wrong, too. You cannot get angry and remain righteous. You just can't. If you can, I want to hear that story. 
I'm not saying, but I've never experienced it. So enlighten me. Not that kind of anger. But anyway, then I would, I would skulk toward the kitchen. Shelly would sometimes have her back to me doing something, you know, and I'd come up to the door. I'd put my head in, and I'd say, hi. And she'd turn around, and I'd be hoping there would be eyes of love and acceptance and forgiveness, and there wouldn't be. <sighs> okay, I guess i got to do something more. So I'd say, let's be friends. Let's be friends. Do you know, if, if you would take a step of reconciliation with the person that's hurt you or offended you, and you were able to just say, let's be friends. You know, this is awkward for me. I, I've probably done some things wrong. I've been hurt by some things that you've done. But you know what? The most important thing is I want to be friends again. David actually does that in the way he shows respect to Saul. You know, he, he says the truth. He says, you are my king. He didn't have to make things up. And then he says, that was in verse 8, and then in verse 11, he calls him father. Well, that's a term of respect, but we don't know if he was using it as a term of respect or if he was appealing to a time when they were much closer and they had actually been like father and son. But we can do that with other people. Sometimes the people that we've hurt or have hurt us are the people that are closest to us. And we carry that resentment and that revenge we're waiting for that person to come to us when Jesus is saying you need to go to them sometimes there are things that have been misunderstood or blown out of proportion what is the first thing David said he says to Saul don't listen to what these others are saying sometimes we're like that you know I'm just waiting And you know, when we wait, we are not idle. We are not neutral. We are thinking about what has been done. We're thinking a lot. In fact, it's getting worse and worse. Worse and worse. And instead of talking to that person, we'll talk to other people. Oh, we'll let them know. We'll let all those other people know what that person has done. But we won't let them know what they've done. And we don't go with the right intentions because we haven't expressed those intentions. Well, that's what David did. And listen, some of you will be angry until the crickets start to sing. But <laughs> don't wait. Don't wait to clarify your intentions. You know, David dispels Saul's fear. He says, you don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not the enemy. And he says, I have no intention to harm you. And basically he's saying, let's be friends. You can do that and I can do that and have done that. And you know what happens when you do that? You feel a peace. And there is what's called reconciliation. David, in talking to Saul, not only does he express his intentions and say, 
I will not harm you. But he goes forward in saying, and I would draw this from verse 12 and verse 15. He's saying, we both belong to the Lord, and I want what the Lord wants best. I want his best for you and for me. You know, that's what he's talking about when he says, you know what, let's just let the Lord arbitrate this. Well, we may not use that kind of legalese and language when we're dealing with someone else, but I guarantee you, if you say, let's be friends, that, that matters to me. You know, don't, don't get any digs in. Have your eye on the prize. Speak the truth. You know, you can say, you belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. The Lord loves you. I know the Lord loves me. He forgives us both. We can reconcile. We can get this fixed. We're two, you know, smart people in the Lord, and he's been at work in our lives. And if we put our heads and hearts together, we can recover something that was beautiful, but not just to recover it, but for it to become something that is even greater and more beautiful in the Lord. And that's what happens when you get through those kinds of difficulties. And that's what the Lord wants for his church. When he talked about, you know, if your brother or sister sins against you, go. He says, don't wait. Don't gossip. Go. And he says that because that's the way his family should operate. Boy, just think if we did that in our homes, in our relationships, and with people that are Christians that we, you know, have been hurt by. Don't wait to be, get even. Resist harming your soul. Move to reconcile. Clarify your intentions. And agree to do each other good. In verse 14, David, in, his, in so many words, he, he says to Saul, show me grace. What if you ask someone, show me grace. I'm not perfect. I blew it. If I hurt you, I am sorry. I'm human too. I don't like to be hurt. I didn't realize I'd hurt you. Let me just, by the way, clear the air right now. If I have hurt you, I am sorry. I don't bear anyone ill will. That's how you live a life of no regret. And when you're not dragging around a lot of regret, it will set you free. And you will know joy and peace. God will become alive to you in new and fresh ways. We're not always good, and we don't like to confront. You know, confront means face-to-face. -face. We don't like that face-to-face -face stuff. I didn't either. Now, I still hate it. But I do it with relish. And I do it as quickly as I can. I can't wait to resolve things. Because I don't want them to suffer and I don't like to suffer either. And if you're tired of suffering from resentment and revenge, then follow your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and begin with his love. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love. That's how I overcame the difficulties of confronting people. Because I knew that I was doing it not to get the best of them, but get God's best for both of us. 
Don't do it to get the best of them. Do it to get God's best for both of you. And when you do it in love, when love is motivating you, it'll just take all the sting out of it. And you'll learn from each encounter how great is God's grace, how powerful is his love, and that his forgiveness sets people free. And you'll know reconciliation. I mean, you'll really believe this gospel. Yes, you will. It'll get into your heart. You'll realize there's nothing like it on earth. And it all begins when you accept God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that he loves you 100%. He forgives all your sin, all your wrongs, all your faults. He forgives it all. If you can know that kind of liberation, you'll have the capacity to forgive others and step out and believe in a better world. You'll be able to... Think of a better version of events than getting even will ever create in your mind or your heart. And so, how did David do this? I mean, well, I just want to refresh your memory because these are the elements in 1 Samuel 24. Choose to wait for God. There are more, there's more than one verse that really illustrates this. David had been anointed when he was like 17. He continues to trust the Lord's timing. He continues to believe that God is the best judge and God can administer justice better than he can. But he's to be an agent in the hands of the Lord. And to do that, he really has to trust God. He has to choose to surrender to God. I said wait for God, but I meant surrender to God and not Saul. So let me back up. And if you will do that, you know, I like to think God's bigger than my enemies. In fact, I don't, I don't think I have any enemies. And I think in Christ, we aren't to have any enemies. That's why Jesus said, love your enemy, which identifies the person, but it actually changes an enemy into a friend. But it really helps to surrender to God and not Saul, because you won't find the justification in that other person. You just won't. You won't find the incentive, not when you're hurting. Not when this thing hasn't been settled, when you haven't gotten the whole truth. So you surrender to the Lord. It's easy to surrender to him. Try it. You'll like it. And then, as I said, choose to wait for God alone. And then imagine a better outcome, a better version I just want to give you a piece of wisdom that's much higher than my own. And this comes from Winnie the Pooh. Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. But if the Lord is the one who occupies your heart, he will put into 
proper proportion and order all the other things in your life. He'll give you the patience to trust him for things that you can't control anyway. And he does it so much better. And when he's in control, you'll know the freedom that you need, you know, to enjoy life until everything gets resolved. Yeah, to actually live in the moment that your life doesn't have to be put on hold until you get even. Because actually everything already has been settled by the cross of Jesus Christ and God's love. All we now have to do is be citizens of his country, of his kingship. That's why we pray. It's a good prayer. You should pray it every day. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be a little heaven through the power of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? My concern as we close in prayer is that this morning you are harboring resentment that you cannot, you do not have the power to resolve on your own. You will find it in the Lord. I try to motivate you and give you hope and, you know, make you laugh and maybe even cry and shudder a little bit. But ultimately, you don't need me. You need the Lord. You need to consult him and his heart for you and his heart for that other person or that situation or that thing that you're trying to take out of God's hands and control for him. When you let him control and you just... Stand ready to be responsible. Life is so much better. And I hope you learn that and know that. But it can begin with prayer. It can begin with that surrender. And that ability to trust and wait on the Lord. And to catch a vision from God of a better version of what God wants to do in your life and through you than you could ever imagine or that the world will give you. If that's a desire of your heart this morning, or if you don't know Jesus, and you would like to welcome him into your life as your Lord and your King, and watch the way he rules and repairs and rejuvenates and restores and brings life to things that were dead in your life, then we invite you to come. I'm going to be up here along with the pastoral staff, the elders and their spouses. We'll pray with you. Any one of us. Maybe it's to pray for you. Maybe it's to intercede for another or a situation. Whatever it is, bring it to the Lord. It always begins with him. It's important how we think about things. But when we actually bring it to him, that's faith. And that's always more real. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the romance of your love for us. Your love for not only us, 
but for this world. And may we be captivated. May we be infatuated by your love. In Jesus' name we praise you. And all of God's people said, God bless you.